Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. On this edition of The Intersection, there is more material from the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando with comments from Jonathan Kahn of the Hope of the World Ministry, who stopped by Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at NRB to explore the topic of idols or gods that are mentioned in the Old Testament, spiritual entities that are at work in our nation today. Plus... The first anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was commemorated recently, and Nicole Hunt from Focus on the Family participated in a special event sponsored by Students for Life of America on that date. You'll be hearing her comments about that event and recommendations for the future of the pro-life movement. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, J.P. DeGance of Communio offers results from a new study showing a decline in people getting married and the effect on the culture, including an increase in loneliness and in fatherlessness, which can impact future generations. Finally, there is more research on the way from Ron Sellers of Gray Matter Research, which has conducted a study with Infinity Concepts about the relationship between professed faith and mental and physical health. His comments are coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Jonathan Kahn leads the Ministry of Hope of the World, as well as Beth Israel, the Jerusalem Center in Wayne, New Jersey. He is the author of a number of books, including The Harbinger, in a conversation at the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, he provided insight relative to his book entitled The Return of the Gods, discussing the false gods, real spiritual entities that are working in these days to oppose the work of God, the one true God. Here now from an NRB conversation is Jonathan Kahn. The Bible says it. And, and the thing is, that it's not that the mythology is real. The mythology is fantasy, but that there are spirits behind this. And that is, the Bible says it. In Deuteronomy, in Psalm 106, it says when they worshipped these gods or these idols, it says they were worshipping the Shadim. Shadim is a Hebrew word. doesn't mean mythology. It means spirits, entities with will, with volition, with, you know, <clears throat> with consciousness. And so now when this word got translated into Greek, it became the word daimonia, we get the word demon from it. And when Paul, it goes into the New Testament, when Paul says the I, the pagans or the Gentiles are worshiping the daimonia. So it's not just, so it means there's something behind them. So that's, that's the first thing. Secondly, you know, the entire world back then, everyone was given to God. So gods were all over. But what changed that? Jesus changed it. The gospel coming into Western civilization, it basically was the biggest mass exorcism in human history. The gods were driven out. But if behind the gods were spirits, what happened to the spirits because gods can fade away but spirits don't die and for the final kind of clue to set this up is the parable of jesus where he says he talks about the spirit leaving the man it goes looking for a place goes back says i'm going back to the house the man finds the house empty brings seven other spirits repossess the man and it's worse than before now people think it's just talking about a guy but at the end jesus said so it shall be with this generation so here's the warning the warning to america the warning to our world is this any nation any culture, any civilization that has been delivered of these things, and that's Western civilization, was delivered from these things, if it, by the power of God, if it should ever turn away from God,
God, empty itself of God, these spirits that were cast out of it are going to come back into the house. Well, that is, we've been casting God out since the early 60s. And what has been happening, what we have been living through is a repossession. It is a repaganization. That's what's happening. And the same gods that happened, that were there in ancient Israel, that when they turned away from God, they're back. And that's what I open up in the return of the gods. Specifically, we can actually know which spirits are dealing with it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so when we look at, and you mentioned the 60s, a time reference here. So are you saying that perhaps there was a either an elimination or a lessening of the influence of these quote-unquote gods, these spirits, prior to that time period, and then they have been if you will, unleashed upon America, or how does how yeah, does that yeah, work as you see? Yeah, it? well, they basically they were driven out when the gospel came into the into the culture, Christian Judeo Christian culture. They don't have the place that they had anymore. So they're you know they're in the in the corners in the underground and the, you know they're out there. But because we're not when the gospel is a preventative, the gospel is power. And so the thing is, once we started removing God, we started taking say, we'll just take God out of the school, we'll take God out of this. No big deal. Well, it's a big deal because we're yeah. opening the door. This is the warning Jesus gave. Look what happened when Germany turned away from God. You know, it wasn't secular; it was demonic. You know, it was Hitler; it was demonic. So now we are t- we've been turning away from God, and yes, we've open the door with it. When you take away God, you're opening the door because that's what's holding all this back, you know, and that, that's what made us different from the pagan world. And, and actually in the Bible, it speaks of certain gods that, that when Israel turned away from God, basically took over the culture. And I call it in the return of the gods, I call it the dark Trinity. Yeah. And these are three and the same ones are back. Jonathan Kahn here on the intersection. You can find out more by going to thereturnofthegods.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Nicole Hunt, Life Issues Analyst for Focus on the Family and Contributor to the Daily Citizen. On the first anniversary date of the U.S. Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, she participated in a special event sponsored by Students for Life of America. Here now with comments about that event and recommendations for the future of the pro-life movement is Nicole Hunt. I felt very honored to be um, included among them. And of course, it was my pleasure and my honor to be able to represent Focus on the Family. And, you know, one of the things that that I really um, focused on um, is the fact that, you know, on this one year anniversary of celebrating a pro-life America, um, that there are, uh, you know, this last year, we saw wins, euphoric wins. 24 states in America put pro-life laws into place, protecting mothers and babies from the tragedy of abortion. Um, We also saw losses. We saw losses at the ballot box on different ballot measures. And we're about ready to see another ballot measure potentially be brought to the people of Ohio um, this November. Um, So that's something to watch. So one of the things I talked about really was, you know, we've seen some mixed results. We've seen states that have been able to protect life. And then we've seen states, of course, that haven't been able to protect life. And um, the question I asked is, is there hope for the future of the pro-life movement? And I responded to that with an absolute yes, and noted three things in particular. The first thing that we can be uh, hopeful about in terms of the future of the pro-life movement is uh, the first, the fact that human lives are being saved from the tragedy of abortion. Um, Depending on who you ask, um, some say, some have estimates right around uh, I don't know, 40 to 50,000 lives saved. Um, and I think Susan B. Anthony has says, uh, just over 60,000 lives 
save since uh, Roe was overturned. And I think that we can take a lot of pride knowing that these, however many it is, these tens of thousands of babies are unique individual souls who, by virtue of being alive, have already changed the course of history. Our future will be different because there are these 50 to 60,000 additional lives um, who will be here. And so that's the first thing is that we know people are being saved. The second thing we can be hopeful about is the fact that the majority of Americans believe abortion should be restricted. Earlier uh, in the month of June, there was a new Gallup poll released, and it shows that 64% of Americans favor some kind of restriction on abortion. And so while the abortion lobby might try to discredit pro-life efforts as being out of touch with the people, the truth is a majority of Americans support limiting abortion, and that is something to be hopeful about. And then finally, um, the third thing that we can really be hopeful about is the fact that pregnancy resource centers are stepping into the gap, and they are serving women and families in more comprehensive ways than ever before, and it is making a difference for these women and for these families. In 2019 alone, Pregnancy Resource Centers served 2 million people, and they provided $270 million uh, worth of services at little to no cost to their clients. And so these three wins, these are solid pro-life wins for the movement, and that they indicate that there is a future for advancing life-affirming policies in America. And we recognize that there are a lot of different areas in which we can be involved. Of course, prayer is something that is very, very important. Involvement, perhaps volunteering to work with a pregnancy resource center or a pro-life ministry or organization in your area. And there's the political peace. Very, very important. And of course, we look to the Lord as our ultimate source of strength, but the political process is important. There's a big election coming up in 2024. Elections have consequences. And just judging from what we saw in the 2022 election, there is going to be the attempt to to make abortion a big issue. And it's it's important that, of course, Christians are involved and prayerful and voting for and, and perhaps even considering becoming a candidate for office and providing that pro-life perspective. So as we wrap up, comment on what you see as the importance of voting in upcoming elections. Yes. Well, you know, it's so important to vote your values. Um, if you wish to have a more righteous, godly nation, if you wish to see more righteous um, policies in place, then it's very, very important that we vote individuals in to office or we ourselves run for office and we run on a platform that would protect particularly preborn human life so important religious freedom so important um the, the family so important and so these are we need to get people into office lawmakers and policymakers who also value these things and so um, more important than ever to be engaged to be paying attention to be praying to be volunteering and to be voting um, if you if we want to see um, a future of a pro-life America that's better than today. Nicole Hunt from Focus on the Family here on The Intersection. You can find out more at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash pro-life or thedailycitizen.org. 
This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed. Plus, you can watch video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There is a link from the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. That website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program and the Intersection podcast can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Well, this is the Intersection podcast. I had the opportunity recently to talk with J.P. DeGance, the president of Communio an organization that helps churches and communities to strengthen marriages. In our conversation, he discussed its nationwide study on faith and relationships, tracing a decline in marriage, resulting in loneliness as well as fatherlessness, which can have a real effect on how Christian truth is communicated to the next generation. Here now from that conversation is J.P. DeGantz. We're not in a great spot uh, over the last 60, let's see, 50 years, the, the percent of people getting married each and every year has dropped more than 60%. Okay, so we've never in our nation's history had less people currently married as a percent of the total population. Now, we're told the world tells us this is, this is fine. It's a great thing. If you watch, you know, the old show Friends uh, uh, or Seinfeld, you know, it, it, marriage is an afterthought, right? Go live your life. Go Climb the career ladder, uh, go um, uh, sow your wild oats, so to speak, and and marriage is, is old-fashioned in, in so many ways. That's what we're told. Uh, the reality is, is this decision-making is fueling the entire mental health crisis our country is seeing. And um, uh, oftentimes, if, if, if uh, folks won't be open necessarily to the biblical arguments, uh, it, it's a really important to point out uh, whether or not uh, a particular set of decisions is, is actually working for you. And, and the reality is, overwhelmingly, uh, uh, those who are choosing to forego marriage, okay, um, uh, end, up, uh, end up being in the uh, most lonely demographics. And uh, when the Surgeon General was talking about this uh, epidemic of loneliness, it's not, the, the lonely are not overwhelmingly found in the elderly uh, in fact, in church on Sunday, it shocked me to see that the loneliest uh, people uh, were not amongst, uh, as a, uh, on average, were not amongst the widows and the widowers. Uh, those who have never married in their 30s, men and women, nearly two-thirds of them are considered lonely by the public health definition. And that, what that, that means is their lifespan is likely to be on average 15 years shorter, okay? And, and so 
Uh, we should be concerned about it. We should be talking to our young people about it. Obviously, I want to also note, Bob, that there's, a, there's plenty of people who, who long to be married, who want to be married, and haven't been able to find, uh, find that, 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 uh, that someone. And uh, uh, in the study, I also point out that pastors need to own this as well, that, that uh, when you compare the never-married uh, populations in a church between men and women, uh, there are 42% more never-married women in church uh, than never married men. So, so uh, one, uh, churches need to be deeply interested in encouraging faithful and healthy Christian marriage. Uh, when they, when churches do this, they can they can advance the gospel most effectively. Is is what the data uh, is what the data suggests. And you also are going to end up uh, really combating this this mental health crisis as well uh, amongst amongst our young people. And we also recognize that the decline in marriage, as you point out in the study and as you found from this data, is actually a, a real threat to the transference of a Christian faith perspective to the next generation and potentially generations to come. So comment on that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, you know, when we looked at everybody in the pews on Sunday, Bob, uh, 80%, so four out of five people sitting in church on Sunday grew up in a home where mom and dad stayed continuously married. What shocked the sociologist I spoke to and, and, and reviewed the study with before publication was that that trend held regardless of age. Okay, so, so think about this for a second. Uh, if you're 22 years old, you're 25 years old, you're in church on Sunday, uh, you're just as likely to have grown up with married parents as somebody in their 60s, okay? And if you've been paying attention to the state of the family over the last 60 years, you know there's been a seismic shift in the makeup of the family over the, uh, where the, the number of kids reaching adulthood with continuously married parents is now a, 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 an absolute minority. So while in the general population, it is a minority group to grow up in a home where mom and dad stayed married. Uh, in the church on Sunday, uh, the overwhelming majority of people sitting in church grew up with my, a married mom and dad in the home. J.P. DeGans here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find out more by going to communio, that's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O dot O-R-G. More commentary on research now from Ron Sellers. He is founder and CEO of Gray Matter Research and Consulting, which has conducted a study in association with Infinity Concepts called Faith and Wellness, Evangelical Insights on Healing and Physicians, dealing with the relationship between professed faith and mental and physical health. Here now are comments from Ron Sellers. I have been in the research world for more years than I care to admit, <laughs> and I've studied just about every group you could possibly think of, from military veterans to Jewish people, evangelicals, uh, architects, lawyers, and to have any group that is almost unanimous on any given opinion is ridiculously rare. But with evangelical Protestants, we found when we asked people do you believe that praying 
contributes to positive mental health? Do you believe it contributes to positive physical health? Do you believe this about reading the Bible? Do you believe this about having a strong Christian faith? We had 1% of evangelical Protestants who said, no, I don't believe that praying contributes to positive mental health. We had the same proportion say, I don't believe reading the Bible contributes to, to positive mental health. Um, anytime you have 99% of a group agree on something, it, it, it's, it's almost unheard of. And so that, more than anything else, is what was really surprising about this study. I've seen you know 80% of a group agree. I've seen 90% of a group agree. And even that's fairly uncommon. But to have 99% agree and, and to have more than 9 out of 10 of them agree strongly Rather than just, mm. well, you know, I sort of want to believe that, I sort of think that, but say, yes, I absolutely positively believe that those things contribute to positive mental health, it, it's, it's, it's really unheard of. When you look at physical health, while there may be a greater percentage that does not believe uh, in praying, reading the Bible, and having a strong Christian faith contributing to positive physical health, Nevertheless, when you combine everything together, still you're looking at, well, somewhere less than 5% that don't believe that, that these practices can contribute to physical health. Well, we have only 2 to 4% who believe that each of those three practices do not contribute anything to positive physical health. So, again, the proportion who believe that praying, reading the Bible, having a strong Christian faith contribute to positive physical health is in the 96 to 98 percent range, which is still incredibly high. Where the main difference is, is that while more than nine out of 10 evangelicals strongly believe that those things contribute to a positive mental health, it's lower for positive physical health. You have between 74% and 82% who believe those, those things contribute to positive physical health. So you've got a lot more people instead of, you know, around 7, 8, 9% who somewhat believe it to be true with mental health. It's 16 to 22% who somewhat believe this to be true for physical health. And I guess in some ways what some people are saying is, you know, spirituality, reading the Bible, that's something that I'm doing with my mind. Praying is something I'm doing with my mind and my heart. So feeling like those things affect me mentally and emotionally, there's a, a more clear-cut connection to me, whereas thinking that those things could affect my spine or my pancreas or my gallbladder or whatever it may be, mm. it's a little bit more of a, of a tenuous connection for some people. So there's still a, a general and, and a very, very common, almost universal belief that those things do contribute, but the strength of that contribution is, is called into question more with physical health than it is with mental health. Ron Sellers here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to gray, that is G-R-E-Y, matterresearch.com or infinityconcepts.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. 
When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast as well as the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the Intersection, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple podcast feed. Plus, you can watch video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. A link is provided from the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.